0: Hi everyone, it's Damon Klotz, host of the Culture First podcast. This bonus episode of the podcast is part of our Working Through It series, a seven-part multimedia experience of curated content to help you and I work through it during this time of tremendous personal and organizational change. You can see all of this content at culturefirst.com through workingthroughit, and make sure you're subscribed so you can get all of the content delivered to your inbox. All right, let's get started.
1: I'm Tarek Myers, I'm the Global Head of Belonging, Inclusion, and Diversity at Coinbase here in San Francisco, and I'm working through it by just holding space for anyone who needs it.
0: Culture first. Culture first. Culture first. Culture first.
1: Culture first. 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 Culture first.
0: Culture first. Culture first. Culture first. I'm Damon Quats, and this is Culture First. Welcome back to another episode of the Culture First podcast. This is Episode Six of the bonus set of episodes that we've created as part of our Working Through It series. Now, the open source movement has given us an insight into the decisions that organizations around the world have been making to support their employees work through it during a crisis. But what we don't always get to learn is about how or why they made those decisions that ended up in the open source policy or document. Many organizations and leaders that I know turned to the open source documents that Coinbase put out to help them with their own response to the constant changes that were being thrown at leaders throughout this year. To learn more about why Coinbase focused on an open and transparent communication strategy, I sat down with Tariq Myers, who's their global head of belonging, inclusion, and diversity. In this episode, I'm going to take you behind the scenes at Coinbase. We're going to learn why they took an open-source approach to dealing with the pandemic, their shift to becoming a remote-first company, and the conversations that they've been having about equality and race with their employees, as well as their industry. This open, raw, and transparent conversation with Tariq transports us to the room where these decisions were being made, why they made them, and the impact that it had on their employees. But I started my conversation with Tariq to first check in at the human level about how he's personally and professionally been working through it during this time. So let's go straight into my conversation with Tariq Myers. So the question that I like to start with, which gets us back to as much as it's nice to have these, you know, fancy titles like work culture evangelist or titles like yours, sometimes it's nice to just go back and say, you know, how do you explain what you do to a ten-year-old who asks you, "What do you do for work?"
1: Yeah. Well, I've had to go through this. You know, I have a younger sister who is uh, much further apart in, in years uh, than I probably would have imagined, and so she's actualizing into a young woman now, and I often have these conversations about what I do and have for most of her life. Uh, and, and the best way I describe it to her is that whatever you imagine for yourself in this world uh, and wherever you imagine it and however you imagine it, uh, it, it is, is something that you're worthy of, that she's worthy of that and that where she was born or what she looks like or her last name should never be a barrier to her imagining for herself what that looks like. Uh, and, and I think, you know, the best way I describe it is that I try to work within organizations or work at companies that she's familiar with and make sure that what she wants for herself is within reach. And I think that's the best way to describe it.
0: How would you approach a, a 10-year-old who's asking you about what's happening in the world right now and how it's impacting their potential like, career or like, how, how they're going to experience the, the workforce?
1: Yeah, I think that's a a really tough question. Um, I I do think that we have to have an honest conversation with with children and with young adults about race, about identity, about the history of this world, and that education doesn't have to come in a semester in high school or a semester in college. That education can start very early. That when... Children are seeing their streets burning and are seeing people cry out for justice and cry out for relief and say this is wrong. You know, no matter what the age of the child is, especially a 10-year-old who's probably just starting to understand and they're, what the world is around them and they're just starting to crystallize their own identity, uh, we have to have a conversation that people in this world have for many, 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 many years been denied their humanity, right, been denied access to schools or to grocery stores or to healthcare facilities or to basic healthcare, uh, to economic mobility, obviously phrased in in a way that a child would understand, but that they, because of who they are or who they love or what they look like or where they were born. And I think that children, especially at that age, they're curious and so they want to know why right? Like why is that mom? Why is that dad? Why is that grandma? Why is that uncle? And so we have to speak that truth to them because ultimately I think that generation, and especially as I look upon my sister's generation, will be the ones to carry us forward. And so we should be telling children the truth because ultimately they're the ones who are going to change the world in a way that we may not be able to do in our lifetime.
0: So before we dive into some of the subjects around dealing with uncertainty in the workplace and kind of how Coinbase has been approaching some of these subjects over the last few months, I just wanted to first check in more at the human level. And I find that the question, how are you, when someone asks it to me, elicits a behavioral reaction where I say, good, thanks, how are you? And we don't ask ourselves actually, you know, what's going on. So rather than say, how are you, I just wanted to ask, are you okay?
1: You know, I'm okay and I'm not okay. I'm okay in the sense that I have to be okay and that the way that I show up matters and that the work is bigger than me. And that's the rationalization that I've come to. And in many ways, the way that I've been processing my own pain and my own confusion and my own anger is by holding embracing, um, very tightly the pain and the anger and the emotions of others. So that's very much in the last, especially in the last couple of weeks, has kept me really grounded. And, I, and, I'm, and I'm self-aware enough to know that, you know, I think the way people see diversity and inclusion practitioners, and I think the way people see myself, is very much as the convener and as the healer. And so it's difficult to put your own emotions aside and your own feelings aside to, I think, hold that space for others and frankly, to meet people where they are, because not everyone is in, is, is in the same place on this journey. There are some folks in our community, both at Coinbase and more broadly, who have never engaged or held these feelings before until this moment. Whereas there's an entire community of folks who deal with, move through, push through these feelings every day. And so, how I personally feel is I'm excited about the awakening. That this country is in in this moment, uh, and I'm disappointed equally that it took this much to get here. Um, but I also worry that uh, we shouldn't just make blanket statements around Black Lives Matter, around you know condemning anti uh, excuse, condemning anti-blackness and you know and 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 systemic racism. Instead, we just need to make sure that. Uh, words are met with action. And so what I'm also feeling is this level of cautious optimism that we're just getting started, but I just hope that it doesn't take a moment like this again to bring us to uh, a place where we're willing to take action. So a bunch of feelings there, but first and foremost, um, holding space for others has been quite therapeutic for me uh, so that I can process how I'm feeling through them in many ways.
0: Yeah, I think that's been a consistent theme out of the other episodes I've done um, in regards to how people are responding to the pandemic or just dealing with uncertainty in the workplace right now is that providing space for others, helping others, trying to be there for others in many ways has been one of the best healing mechanisms for the people who are are trying to work through it themselves. And um, yeah, we're just certainly going to be touching on how you've been working through it um, as a black leader at Coinbase as well as in society. But I wanted to go back a little bit. When I think about uncertainty throughout this year, you know, 2020, there's been so much uncertainty that we've faced and, you know, we're recording this episode in June of 2020, but I want to go back to late February and early March where, you know, companies around the world were scrambling to understand the impact that COVID-19 was going to have on their business and their employees They were trying to work out how to respond, what they should be doing. And while many leaders were dealing with that uncertainty and searching for answers, Coinbase was one of the first companies to actually open source, you know, what you were doing, how you were doing it, and how you were communicating to your employees. So before we discuss kind of why you open source and what was in the document, I wanted to take a step back and maybe talk about the discussions and decisions that took place in the days leading up to that document being released.
1: Yeah, so for context, you know, I stepped into the the conversation around our response to COVID-19 shortly after uh, we released our kind of open source document to really get us to this place. Um, I think the first and foremost piece uh, that's important to understand about Coinbase is that our community is grounded in this idea of trust, Um, not only for our marketplace and for our users, but also internally. And so it was very obvious to us very early that we had to continue to enable this level of trust to come to fruition in the organization by taking care of our employees' safety first and foremost, and that uh, we couldn't wait for, uh, you know, the, the global dialogue, the national dialogue or the local dialogue to really give us direction uh, because we had employees all over the world who um, were looking for us to, for, for some level of direction and uh, a significant level of trust. What came out of that, so once the organization you know, created this document, we enabled folks to work from home, we kind of be, were able to transition our business from what was in-person work to kind of this more remote work, that's when I kind of stepped into the conversation and said, okay, our employee safety has been addressed, now how do we address really the employee experience in this place? And that's where my charge really came to fruition.
0: From open sourcing that document, do you feel like as a company you learned more about your employees' experience and what was going through than you may have otherwise if you just kept that as an internal document?
1: You know, I think what we learned is that – and this this kind of leads to my new role as, you know, supporting this employee support team that we can speak about a little bit later – um, but I, I think what we learned is that our team just has diverse needs, right? Like we had our caregivers, our, our teams, our team members that had pre-existing conditions. We had folks who may have had some housing uncertainty, folks who didn't have access to great Wi-Fi, folks who didn't have access to a desk or a basic chair, um, you know, folks who were living with relatives who may be immunocompromised, and so. What we realized is that it was did not make sense for, for us just to deploy some one-size-fits-all solution, or even deploy just one monetary incentive to get folks to adjust to this new normal. That we really had to view this as uh, this pro- this approach as being quite holistic, um, but also individualized and tailored in this concierge way to the different needs that our team that our team has. And so. Uh, it actually broadened, in my view, for a lot of folks internally and obviously externally, the role that DNI plays in addressing the needs of different folks, so that they can all do their best work on a day to day. And so, this idea of equity, meeting people where they were, giving them the resources that they had to be successful, became top of mind for us more so than it already was. And I think that was in large part driven by um, by COVID nineteen.
0: Yeah, it's a conversation that I'm. Um hoping happens a little bit more, which is around, you know, right now, equal levels of performance really isn't possible when you think about that. You might have a more junior employee in the first three years of their career who sees their opportunity to work at a ramp or a Coinbase as like, you know, a pivotal moment. And their ability to succeed right now while living in a large metropolitan area with several housemates is very different from someone who's been in their career for 9 or 10 years living on their own, you know, maybe somewhere else, right? And the idea of, like, actually meeting them where they are, what support do you need? You know, are companies putting a scaling level of support based on whether you're a more junior employee and, you know, just getting some money for a desk isn't enough, right? Maybe you actually need a stronger Wi-Fi connection or something else versus, you know, many execs around the world already potentially have an office in their larger home, right? So their ability to work during this time is very different.
1: Totally, totally. 100% with you there. And I and I think that we felt that. I mean, everyone from our, our CEO down just had a different experience about how they were engaging this work. And we had to be ready to listen and also to act. Um, and and I think that's what makes Coinbase a special place in that much of this. the decisions that we make in, in, in many of the, the programs that we roll out, you know, are done in a way that really gathers feedback, right? And, and really understands, or at least attempts to understand the different experiences of folks. It's why we love CultureAmp, right? You know, it, our engagement strategy is our number one driver of our people experience. We're really interested in understanding the gaps. We want to deeply understand our community, and we don't make assumptions about people's experiences. And I think that's the number one driver here, is that we can't assume that just because our CEO or members of our board may having be be having one experience. That same is true for folks sitting next to them, or for folks who are more junior in the organization. So, uh, definitely very true and very true to us.
0: I want everyone to take out their pen or their phone right now and write down: stop making assumptions about your employees' experience.
1: Yes, 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 exactly.
0: It's so. critical and. You touched on drivers of engagement and what we've seen consistently across our benchmarks is, you know, communication from leaders is a critical driver of employee engagement. And Queenbase's CEO, Brian Armstrong, has consistently shown an openness to sharing, you know, publicly the internal memos about key decisions that impact the business and the culture. Have you seen some of the internal benefits of having such an external focused approach when it comes to communication?
1: You know, I do. I I think that in many ways, you know, we're trying to model for the world that we can do better so that we can model in a way that it's possible to be better, right? And so the people experience and and, and what we're doing to try to shape diversity, equity, and inclusion in the world, what we're doing to support our employees, you know, we don't see that necessarily as being a competitive advantage. We want Everyone who's kind of in our network and outside our network to have access to these tools and and to share learnings and what works, right? In this really decentralized way, it's kind of core to who we are as a business, right? Where we're imagining an open financial system for the world, where where you are and what you look like and and where you come from and what zip code you know you're in shouldn't be a barrier to economic freedom, you know, aligning to our to our vision and our mission statement. And so we very much feel that about our people experience as well. That if if there's something that works we want to share it. Um, and, and if something didn't work, we equally want to share those learnings so that we um, can not only broaden the landscape and be an example for other folks within our micro industry that is crypto, but also more broadly. Um, and I think, you know, we're not the first to do this in many ways. I think Google, Facebook, and other FANG companies who have had their footing in the valley for a little bit longer than uh, we have have also shared some learnings, but we're not shy about sharing what works and what doesn't work so that others can kind of learn um, from what we do. And I think that drives a level of energy uh, with our employees and that they feel that they're working in a best-in-class experience um, and, and that we're being truthful about what we're doing.
0: I think that's why I've always enjoyed working at the intersection of marketing and HR. I've ever like been in HR and like used marketing or like sat in marketing kind of teams to like bring that message to the market or the flip side and it's because the message that you tell the world if it's not being heard by your employees and it's not consistent. So like you said like it wasn't a major decision to say let's open source these things if Coinbase needs to be a trusted company if trust is at the core of, you know, who you are as a company and what your product represents, of course, that has to be consistent in how you approach your employee experience and showing that to the world. And I think, you know, far too many people, unfortunately, work at places where the message that they tell the world isn't the message that is necessarily heard or experienced inside of their company.
1: Especially now, uh, which is which is very much how I'm feeling. And, and both have to be true, that the the promise that you make to the marketplace, that brand promise um, equally has to measure or 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 excuse me, equally has to reflect the um, the brand experience that that you have internally. When there's a disconnect, um, it just doesn't work, and um, it feels uh, half truthful in many ways. So I think that's spot on.
0: So we've been through February, we've been through March. Uh, you know, the world has shifted many times. Now I want to fast forward to April of 2020, and you took on a new role at Coinbase, or rather, an additional role. Um, I'd love to learn a little bit more about how that decision was made and what that role is.
1: Oh, I love that role. So, uh, you know, in April of this year, it it was a very intentional decision, as I shared with you before, that, um, you know, we we had a very clear plan of how we wanted to escalate and de-escalate Uh, our our posture on, you know, either being a remote or a remote oriented company in the time as a result of COVID-19, when we would, you know, potentially return to office, all of the jazz. So the business very much transitioned. And I think in, you know, in tandem, Uh, we were really trying to figure out ways to directly and support our employees as they were also making this transition. And when we turned to the marketplace, at least when I personally turned to the marketplace, I wasn't really seeing a lot of transparent examples of, of, of how this worked well. And so immediately we went into building mode and our executive team, as championed by our CEO, Brian, and our CHRO, LJ Brock, made a decision that we wanted to stand up an employee support team. And I remember getting the call one morning um, and it was like, Tarek, this is what we want to do. Let's bring this to fruition. Let's make this happen. And so I immediately went into building mode and thinking about, at its core, what do our employees need in this moment to define which, what was at the time just a 90-day plan? Because, frankly, we didn't know how long we were going to be in this new normal. Um, and so immediately I assembled kind of the folks who I knew had. Uh, the probably the most empathy on our on our people team, folks who are already kind of doing some of this work, folks who could be incredible conveners, folks who were who had a bias for action, folks who really wanted to be data driven, brought them into a room, and we decided that our three pillars were going to be uh, one that was around work, around you know productivity, enabling folks to be successful, removing some of these barriers that are in their way to just do their work. For some that look like you know, having a desk or, or having access to a laptop or having, you know, uh, an, an expanded work from home budget that they could use to kind of to drive and meet some of their needs. For others, that was being pointed in direct directions of virtual childcare or, um, you know, needing different tools and resources to be successful. The second pillar was around well-being. And we knew that this moment was impacting folks so differently. And so in that well-being pillar, we were really focused on uh, physical, emotional, and mental well-being. So not only kind of championing much of the mental well-being resources that we already had internally, but also making sure that we were finding the right partnerships or events to place on the cal- calendar where folks could just really step away and take care of themselves. Uh, tactically, that looked like making sure that we were encouraging the team to chart out their work hours. To We have a, a no meeting Tuesday rule at Coinbase, encouraging folks to, to use that time just to block off experiences. We ended up creating some work flexibility guidelines for managers that enabled folks to to who had to, whose productivity had to f- uh, fall below that 75% mark to be able to work it out with their manager and say, it, the number one priority was, you don't need permission from us to take care of yourselves, that we're here for you, that will work for you. And then the last pillar was around community. And this was a, a, a complex one in that. We knew that probably in this moment, not everyone wanted to have social events and experiences with their colleagues. They probably wanted to spend a lot of time with their family. But the hallmark of the employee experience at Coinbase was very much driven by these experiences where we could step away from the work and come together. And so that last pillar of work was really saying, One, how do we create space for people who are having a hard time just to connect with one another and share ideas? But on the flip side, how do we have some formal programming that people can get behind um, to better their experience? So that was the first step. And then I think the second step to that was immediately deploying through CultureAmp, a employee support survey. Um, You folks had some incredible questions that you folks provided to the community to start from. Um, we tweaked and shaped the survey to kind of meet our needs, but that was our baseline that was going to inform our action plan uh, for the next probably quarter or so. And so that was incredibly helpful. And then and, and that was kind of our two immediate actions, um, support our community in April.
0: And then from that, in May of 2020, you actually made an announcement that you were going to shift to becoming a remote first organization. Did you, was that like a gradual shift? Do you feel like the company was sort of already gearing up for that? Or was it just more so like, we're seeing this work now. Like, it sounds like you've got incredible foundations for what you were trying to do, saying that like, you know what, we can now just commit to this moving forward.
1: Yeah, I, I think what we realized is that the investments that we made in the employee experience in the years prior as a funky startup, who was trying to find its footing, actually set us up for success to move to this posture I mean, everything from the tools and resources that we had implemented to kind of get us in this moment to even laying out our culture doc and our values and the shared beliefs that we had. I mean, we had something to anchor to. And we also realized that for many of us, it was working, right? Um, But we also knew that a a total remote experience for some of our employees just wasn't going to work. And so the next phase of uh, after that announcement was actually launching with you folks again, Uh, another survey that helped us understand the granular needs of our community more broadly. Is this remote experience working for you? How is it impacting your productivity? How are you feeling? How are you feeling about the leadership team's response to all this? Do you want an in-office experience? How many days a week? Are you a caregiver? Do you have an untenable work situation? Some really tough and nuanced questions, but ones that were a good signal to us that we were on track and that this remote first experience could work. And I just want to highlight that a remote-first experience is not one that favors remote work over another, but that this was a moment for us to really, in the spirit of equality of opportunity, in the spirit of equity, make sure that wherever you are in this journey of a remote-first experience, that your employee experience is not going to be dramatically different, if different at all. That what you get in the in-off experience should be exactly what you get in a remote-first experience, that the tools, the resources, the visibility, the connection to leaders, um, the support systems that are in play are yours and within reach. And so uh, it was an inspiring moment from the community because we realized that this might be able to work for us. And we're literally in this moment, knee deep in figuring out what are the pillars over the course of maybe six or seven months that we have to kind of um, action against to ready us for uh, for this new, this new mile in our journey. And I think the best way to describe it is, you know, it's not that we're just, taking the ship and bringing it to sea, but that we're reimagining what this ship could look like while bringing it to sea. And that's the best way I think to describe it.
0: When you were sharing that and I was getting flashbacks of, uh, I was on a team at Coltramp two years ago and I was the only employee in San Francisco and everyone else was in Melbourne, but our leader there wanted to have a remote first um approach to our team because he said just because you're in san francisco like doesn't mean you should have a different experience from everyone else so like you know everyone used to always join the calls or from their own laptops you know there was like consistent documentation and like m- meeting notes in central places where we could like see everything and it made such a difference to me knowing that like i wouldn't be at a disadvantage being out here and that we we could all have that shared experience and hearing you say all those things i'm hoping more organizations even if they don't become fully remote, at least think about a remote first mindset for your employee experience.
1: Totally. And it's, it's, I mean, I, I, I've had a number of exciting experiences in my journey within tech. I think the one that I'm most excited about is really pushing our imagination of what the future of work could look like in how we hire and who we hire and where we hire and how we develop and how we give folks visibility to feel that they're still connected to one community and one identity, even if they're around the globe, and to really align in this decentralized way, um, our employee experience, to the decentralized nature of our mission—it just seems so right for us. Um, and so, I'm, I'm I'm really excited about what's going to come, and I can't wait to share it with you in the community um, when we when we codify and 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 really crystallize what that vision looks like.
0: Sounds like we'll have to have a follow up episode because I'm we excited will. to read it.
1: We will. We will. We will indeed.
0: So you touched on this, but Brian Armstrong said that the employee experience, and Brian Armstrong, for those who don't know, is the CEO of Coinbase. He said that the employee experience should be the same whether you're in in an office one day a week, five days a week, or never. And, you know, based on your role, how do you plan on approaching this from the perspective of belonging?
1: Yeah, it's it's tough. I, I think that, you know, to me belonging diversity equity inclusion all these different words that i think have saturated our community over the last few years really means one thing that no matter where you're seated that you have access to the same experiences the same uh, opportunities the same visibility the same growth trajectory that what you imagine for yourself, as I, as I said before, is within reach and can come to fruition, and that the promise that we're making to you is one that you feel and that you know can actualize. That's at the core, in my view, uh, of what belonging is. And so what it's going to take for us in a real tactical way is really looking at the entire employee journey and, and asking ourselves, is what held true in an in-off experience, does it still hold true today? So a great example that's like flexing, you know, my belonging muscle in many ways is virtual interviewing, right? You know, Google, you know, Google Meets doesn't have the capability to blend your your, your background in the same way that maybe Skype and Zoom does. Um, so what if we have an impl- a potential candidate, you know, that has uh, a political poster on the background, or the background may look different than an in-office home experience. What a, what a, what implicit biases show up in that experience? Um, I think about connect, connectivity, right? Like, you know, we're, it's, we're a community at Coinbase that really values the ability to be matrix in many of the projects that we deploy. How are we reimagining making sure that folks who may have had a seat at the table or the ability to join a meeting at random, you know, within our offices still has the ability to cross-functionally engage with teams uh, that, that managers understand how to measure and how to evaluate this person's work and to uplift them and to, and to promote them over time? Um, I think about our culture and you know, we, we're a team that loves to have a good time. And so when I think about the amazing volunteer experiences that we had, or the community events that we would host, or a session that we have every Friday called Coinbase Matters, where everyday employees just show up and share what matters to them, how do we still have those milestones and those and those moments that matter where people can feel connected? That's where I'm really stretching my imagination. And I think it's very new to me and very new to the industry to understand the new opportunities with d and with and with belonging more broadly that have, come to fruition now that we may not have had to think about before. And so the team, I mean, we've assembled kind of a tiger team in some way and a cross-functional task force that are really thinking about integrating this inclusive lens um, grounded in equitable design and everything that we're doing as we we move this posture um, to a remote one. And I think what's important to learn at Coinbase is that continuous learning is one of our core values. And so whatever vision that comes up with V1 of remote first. Is likely not the vision that's going to be there, you know, years from now. That we're really good about learning what's what works, learning what doesn't work, iterate, iterating, measuring, and then um, iterating again. So um, I'm excited about the frontier and the opportunities that have come from this. I'm excited about the future of belonging at Coinbase, and I think that we will be a, in many ways, a teaching tool and a lesson. Uh, based on the the opportunities and the and the mistakes that we make, frankly, um, in this experience and creating one that's grounded in equality of opportunity and equity for all of our employees.
0: We've now looked at sort of your journey from like February till about you know April May, and talking about how you've responded to COVID nineteen the pandemic as well as just like being a remote first organization. But this episode has a lot of time hops. But I'm now going to go back twelve months ago. <laughs> So July of 2019, uh, you and I were together at our Culture First conference Mm. um, that um, Culture Amp held, and um, I had the chance to interview DeRay McKesson for the Culture First podcast, and you actually had a chance to interview him live on stage in front of thousands of people leaders from around the world where, you know, he spoke about police brutality, racial inequality, and the role that leaders and companies need to be playing in order to help bring change. I wanted to just get your initial reflections on the 11 months since then.
1: Well, you know, what a journey it's been. You know, I I always enjoy my time with CultureAmp because I think that, you know, we ask the industry and ourselves, you know, really hard questions that really force us to rethink the role that companies have in dismantling systemic oppression in the macro environment, but also within their own communities. This journey has been an incredible one in that our products are in people's homes. They impact people's lives. We use them every day. Um, Our billboards are in communities, some communities that may be hurting more than others. You know, our phones are often always connected to us. And so even when we try to distance ourselves from the problem, the problem, quote unquote, um, is always with us. The journey has been an incredible one in that, in my view, from a first principles perspective, you know, we have an obligation to our employees, first and foremost, to make sure that, again, the promise that we're making to them about belonging and inclusion actually is one that they experience internally. And it shouldn't be lost on anyone in full candor that crypto as an industry, the intersection of finance and technology has a long way to go to create greater access from a marketplace perspective and probably even a longer way to go from a workforce or workplace perspective. There aren't too many crypto first organizations that have a role like mine. And so the pressure is on us and our leadership team to really model for the world how this role helps shape workplace inclusion, workforce inclusion and marketplace inclusion because of that onus and that opportunity, right? If I can if I can hyphenate them because it's both a blessing and an opportunity for us to grow is that people are watching what we do and how we do it and we want to be known as a company that does it with character. I think first and foremost our obligation is to get our own house in order. And if this journey of the last year has taught me anything is that we've done a lot of work to get our our house in order. But we also know that we have had a role in, in bringing this conversation about you know, black folks and brown folks and women and caregivers and folks with disabilities and, and others to the conversation of crypto. That it's difficult for us to talk about uh, you know, what we wanna do for the world without talking about the communities that are going to be receiving a lot of this work and engaging in our, in our products and our experiences. So it's been an incredible journey of getting our own house in order uh, while we're also keeping top of mind the role that we play in shaping the national and global dialogue of what inclusion looks like in our crypto marketplace and the crypto economy.
0: When you were describing that, like I can only imagine, I guess, maybe the pressure that you're feeling not only for like what you're trying to do to represent the employee experience inside of Coinbase, but also for wealth creation and a more fair access to wealth creation moving forward. Like how How have you been... Handling the last few weeks in in particular, as a black leader, both inside Coin inside Coinbase, but also as someone like you said, who has a wider kind of, I guess, people are watching, right? And and you're sort of playing multiple roles here.
1: Yeah, well, I'll bring it back to February to to help us understand how this moved us to this moment. You know, so in February, you know, we Coinbase released a study on Black Americans' engagement in in the crypto economy and found that you know, disproportionately Black Americans have been harmed in some way by Finance 1.0, that uh, there is an awareness, a deep awareness that crypto exists in the Black community, and there's a desire by Black Americans to learn more about the crypto economy. And so we kind of packaged those findings, brought those findings to Capitol Hill, Uh, had probably one of the first industry events of this size and of this level of diversity on Capitol Hill itself, where black leaders and brown leaders and allies and electeds, um, came together to have a real discussion about what the future of crypto could look like with black folks included in that economy. Since many ways black folks have been left behind. And now in the last three weeks, I mean, it's evident and obvious to us that that conversation shouldn't be one that's just bound to the confines of February as we knew then in Black History Month. This is a conversation we should be having every day. Um, And so in the last couple of weeks, I think the pain, the awareness and the outrage of what's happening in our macro environment has driven some incredibly tough conversations internally about what our role is in this work and what our role is in standing with and for black and brown employees internally. Um, And what we can do to further, to double down, to elevate, to increase the work that we've already done from a diversity, equity, inclusion perspective for this community in particular. And it shouldn't be lost on anyone that, you know, black folks are underrepresented across tech and so Coinbase isn't absent from that underrepresentation. Um, and so we, it was a moment where a group of employees really elevated for us and continue to do so areas where we can do more and do better. And, and it's true. And I'd be lying and saying that uh, my reflections is that, you know, more broadly it, it black, you know, black America has been left behind by corporate America in terms of, you know, employment and opportunities. And in many ways, Um, corporate America has failed black America. And that oftentimes, the only senior executive roles that you see uh, in this space are mine, and they usually are occupied by people who look like me, right? And so um, corporate America's reckoning is here. And how we respond to this moment will determine who and how we hire other people who look like me in the future.
0: And like you said earlier, let's ensure that we don't need another moment. Let's make this the moment where things can change.
1: This is it. I think this is it. I think that, I think that this, how companies respond to this moment, not even in, externally, honestly, I, I think how companies, you know, Damon, respond to this moment internally will really shape the way diversity, equity, inclusion looks 5, 10, 15 years from now.
0: And speaking about that internal approach, I also spoke in the other episode in this part with Michelle Kim about how do we talk about politics and race in the workplace? Are you able to shed any light on the conversations that have been happening either with yourself or with other leaders inside of Coinbase about what's been happening over the last few weeks, both in America and globally?
1: Yeah, I mean, let me tell you, brother, it was um, an emotional week. It was an emotional week in so many ways. But I think the learning for me is that people need space, to share about their experiences and to share about what they go through on a day-to-day basis, and that folks are just in radically different places along this journey. This is not a new issue. <laughs> this is these are not new conversations. As long as I've been in the workforce, for, and my grandmother, and my great-grandmother, and my mother, and my, you know, all these folks, you know, these conversations about what it means to be black. Um, in the labor market and what it means to be black in America are ones that have existed for many decades now. Um, I think what has changed is the role that companies play, not just in um, taking care of employees while they're at work, but the impact that employees' personal lives have on their work. Um, I can't just leave my blackness at home, especially since I'm working at home (laughs) right now. So that separation is just really difficult. So that's all to say that um, this week was painful for many folks because I think it called into question the type of allyship we need, as in what do I as a white employee do in this scenario and how do I avoid the pitfalls of being a self-appointed ally and go right to action without learning? I think it was painful for our black employees in that they had to parade Uh, and show much of their pain to their colleagues, but but frankly, wanted that space to do so. But it pains me because it shouldn't take that uh, in our community and more broadly in America to really bring about the change that we're really looking for. Um, But the point is that we walked out of this week, or, or excuse me, last week, with some actions that we'll eventually share with the broader community Uh, that will move our workplace and our experience forward. And I think that we did so in a time where we were considering this remote first work. And so now more than ever, as we're designing what that experience looks like, this experience is top of mind. But it's not just about racism in this moment, but the intersection of other isms. It's like we can't talk about race without talking about class, and we can't talk about race without talking about gender, and we can't talk about race without talking about, um, you know, sexuality and, and identity. Because what about our black women, and what about our black trans women, right? And what about our black trans working class women? And so my hope is that companies around the world don't just see this as a moment in time, but that these systems of oppression are so deeply interconnected that it will take us several years to fully unpack them but the one obligation we do have as we work on solving those macro issues is making sure that when employees walk through our virtual doors every day that who they are or what they look like is valued and not seen as a barrier to their success and that anyone who feels like they don't have a role to play in making sure that experience is great is actually contributing to um the complicit nature of what systemic racism actually is in the macro environment. It does not stop at our walls, right? And as much as we've done through ramp and others to create an amazing employee experience, it is a misstep to believe that somehow we're absolved of the world's traumas when we carry these traumas within us every single day, with the decisions that we make, with how we hire, who we hire, how we promote, and how we engage the marketplace. And so we have some unlearning through learning to do, um, and, and we're just getting started.
0: And that's, you know, with the world's eyes globally on this conversation, but this is only only the start. Like so much work has to start from here and it has to be consistent. And I'm what I'm hoping is that the companies and the leaders who have been very publicly vocal about it over the past two weeks are still vocal about it in three months' time, six months' time, in two years' time. And that, like you said, you know, you, you can walk in, And regardless of your intersectionality and your experiences in the past, you can walk into a virtual or a physical room and have the ability to succeed and perform at a high level and be seen and to not have to leave your experiences at the door because I think it's been too easy for too long to talk about bringing your whole self to work. But most organizations and teams and leaders have shied away from the conversations about what that actually means.
1: Totally. And I mean, I'll just add some color there and say that there was a tweet that I see floating around um, about, you know, DNI, diversity and inclusion will not bring about the revolution. And it's totally true, right, in many ways. And our goal um, is to make sure that the harm and the, and, and, and the angst and the, and the experience and the pain that folks feel in our broader community is somehow diminished and taken away and moved out the way so they can be successful. But we have to be careful that we don't see diversity, equity, and inclusion within companies right, being the answer to the systemic change that we need. That it's only one cornerstone of many around companies questioning their mission and their values and their social impact work and their business strategy and the investments that they make with communities and their supplier diversity that this is just one piece and that we and I caution companies not to just see this as being the only solution the only panacea right to bettering the experience of folks not only uh, and, and I'll say this specifically bettering the experience of black people <laughs> And black communities, it cannot just sit with one DNI practitioner. As much as I'd like to believe that I'm a great change agent, I can't change this work by myself.
0: Exactly, you need people who are not in these roles to also step up and do the work with you. And my final, my final thought or, or question: Angela Davis said that I am no longer accepting the things that I, you know, I cannot change. I'm changing the things that I cannot accept. So today, what can you not accept anymore?
1: Who I I can't accept a lot. Um, What I can't accept anymore is complacency. What I can't accept is now's not the time. What I can't accept is uh, the the overarching. Why does this matter? Why is this work important? This doesn't belong to me. What I can't accept is the ability not to move from one's position. And accompanying, you know, Angela Davis's sentiment is also Toni Morrison's, right? Which is the function, the very serious function of racism is distraction. There will always be one more thing. And so we should be well beyond now, why diversity and inclusion? Why does belonging matter? Why does engagement matter? Why does equity matter? We are beyond giving the data. We are beyond making the business case. We are beyond questioning whether systemic racism exists. I think now we need to be in action mode as we heal, uh, but no more distraction. And that's kind of where, where I'm at deeply and and wholeheartedly.
0: I want to thank you so much for sharing you know, your personal story and your inspiration about the world that we know can exist and should exist. And it needs to be in our lifetime. We need to get there. And um, I think the work that you've done as well as Coinbase to help other organizations who aren't there yet, haven't seen that th- this is a future that you know can exist, they don't have the resources yet. I'm hoping that stories like this and the open sourcing of them will help us co-create the world that we know can exist.
1: Absolutely, and I, and I appreciate you giving me some time and I know there'll be much more to come.
0: A big thank you to Tariq Myers for joining me today. I learned many things from this conversation with Tariq and his passion about the world that we know can exist and the future of work is why I've always enjoyed learning from him over the last few years. But if I was to try to summarise our conversation as a reflection, then I think I'm leaving the conversation with this. It is not your head of diversity, equity and inclusion's role to create a better world of work for the rest of us. As Tariq said, many people see that role as the conveyor and the healer during a time like this but it should be part of all of our roles, especially now. People in those roles are tired, they're exhausted. And while our default reaction might be to check in and ask, how are they right now? If they're getting that question a 100 times a day, that isn't helping. If anything, it's adding to their workload. So instead, how might we step up and remember that it's part of all of our roles to create the culture-first organisations that are diverse, equitable, and inclusive. You may have also heard me discuss a conversation with DeRay McKesson when I was speaking with Tariq. And if you haven't heard that episode yet, then I highly recommend that you do. If you head to culturefirstpodcast.com slash activism, you can listen to myself and DeRay talk about police brutality, activism, and what is the role of organizations and leaders within them creating the world that we know can exist. So this wraps up episodes five and six from part three of our Working Through It series where we discussed uncertainty in the workplace. If you want to discuss either of these episodes with me, then please join the conversation on your social media platform of choice by using the hashtags Working Through it and Culture First Podcast. You can also tag CultureAmp and myself at Damon Klotz, D-A-M-O-N-K-L-O-T-Z. I'm on a constant learning journey to become an activist and an ally and to do whatever I can to help create this change. And I want to learn how you're working through it and what you're doing as well. Together, we can all hold ourselves accountable for doing the work that's needed to create the world that we know can exist. So I want to thank you again for listening and I look forward to joining you very soon for another episode of the Culture First podcast.